when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello, my darlings. How are you? I hope you're having a wonderful summer. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero. We're going to start with a reader shout out. This is a review left at Trial Guides for the From Hostage to Hero book. If you've not reviewed the book yet, please go to trialguides.com and do so. We are trying to get to 100 reviews if we get there, and we may be there already by the time this podcast lands, Uh, but uh, if we get there, which I know we will, I'll be the first ever author to receive 100 reviews. In fact, currently, I am the author with the most reviews at Trial Guides. So help a gal out, would you not? Go there. If you haven't actually purchased the book yet, you can also do that at trialguides.com. But this review is from Dave M., And he titles his review, High Value, Even even in a No-Attorney Wadir State. Dave says, I first saw Sari about eight years ago at a Rick Friedman event in Miami. I was very impressed by her authenticity and insights. From a slate full of amazing speakers, I remembered her very specifically years afterwards. This book is about a lot more than Wadir, by the way. Sari has a way of taking those subjective elements of influence and persuasion never even discussed in law school, even though it's what we spend most of our time doing day in and day out, and making them clear and actionable without being formulaic. It's like learning a new language more than an equation. At the same time, Sari is great about helping us deal with our own fears, the elephant in the room for a lot of us, and transcend them. This book inspired me to join Sari's H2H crew too. Just starting my journey, but I'm already very happy I did. Well, we're so glad to have you, Dave, in the H2H crew. And if you're wanting to learn more about the crew or join, you can go to fromhostagetohero.com. That's where we take all of the things in the book and the podcast, and we help you practice them and make them a part of your regular everyday life. We would love to have you as a crew member. So again, fromhostagetohero.com is the place to go to read more about the crew. Well, today we're talking about courtroom leadership, and this may be a two-parter. We'll see as we go through today's uh, episode. If it's uh, long enough, we'll make it two parts. But we're talking about the concept of leading in court. I know that this is a big buzz topic, or it has been in recent years. You know, you have to be a leader in court. And so before we even talk about leadership and what it is and how it gets communicated and And all of those things. Let's talk about why it's important. You know, jurors are, as you've heard me say many times before, and it's a big part of my book, jurors are hostages. They do not want to be there and they don't know what they're there to do or how to do it. And so your job is to communicate to them not only what their job is and how to do it, but communicate it in such a way from your leader position that they want to believe in you and find you credible. That's the leadership part of this, is that they're looking for some guidance and you need to show up as the person who is willing to go on this journey with them and 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 help them with this journey, as I talked about in the last podcast episode. And that takes leadership. Leaders take a stand. In fact, that brings us to what I consider to be the two ingredients of leadership. Now, 
These ingredients are not the be-all, end-all. It doesn't talk about whether you're a good leader or a bad leader. It doesn't say what your style of leadership is. But these are the two things one must have to be considered a leader of any type. So the first thing is you must be going somewhere. Look, if you're not going anywhere, there's no reason for people to follow you. So part of your leadership has to be clearly communicating where you're headed, what your destination is, so that people will want to follow you there. Which brings us to the second component of leadership, which is you must have followers. Meaning you can be going somewhere, you can be heading to a destination, but if no one's following you, then you're not a leader. You may be a trailblazer, you may be you know, out there making change in the world, but you're doing it alone. So again, you've got to be going somewhere and you've got to have followers. So in today's podcast episode, we're going to start with this whole component of where you're going and why that makes such a difference to jurors. If we have time, we'll talk about how to communicate to your jurors that you're the leader and have them follow you. If not, we'll do that in the second half. So first off, let's talk about the difference between management and leadership. I love Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. It's such an oldie, but such a goodie. I I reread that book probably a dozen times now. But he talks about the difference between management and leadership. And he, and he uses the, the analogy of you're in the jungle and you've got all the workers out with their machetes and they're cutting down all the, the branches and the managers are making sure that the workers are being fed and they have their rest times and their machetes are sharpened. And, and that's what management does, right? They make sure that things are happening and moving and people are being productive. The leader is the one that climbs up into the tree, looks out and goes, wrong jungle. Meaning leadership is all about vision. Now, when we're thinking about courtroom leadership, what I want you to be thinking about is the the idea that you are taking jurors on a journey and you are heading to a certain destination. And your job as the leader in court is to get jurors to want to go with you. This is the huge part of the From Hostage to Hero method is that we turn everything on its head, meaning instead of just dealing with the jurors as they are and hoping that we can persuade, and really what we're really saying is trick or manipulate them, by all of the little things that we're using to get them on our side, that we actually begin with jurors who want to be there in the first place. That's what the From Hostage to Hero method is all about. It starts with creating safety and inviting that engagement and getting the commitment and then finally having jurors take action. But we start from the very beginning with getting jurors to want to be there. And that's the same thing when we're talking about courtroom leadership is that when you want jurors to follow, that's that second piece, you have to make the destination appealing. In fact, it has to be so appealing that they can't say no to it. And this is what I really want you to be thinking about. We're talking about leadership. If you really understand leadership, what you understand is this. Leadership is never about the leader. It is always about the followers. Again, 
It's not about the leader. It's always about the followers. And your number one objective, especially here in court, is to prepare your jurors for their mission. They are going to be taking on something that is very important to you and your client, and they're the one that's going to have to carry the day. Therefore, this process has to be all about them. You've heard me say this over and over again, and I cannot say it enough, that everything you do has to be about and for the jurors, not you and not even your client. The jurors, because the jurors have the most power to make happen what you want to happen. But the only way we can get them to do that is if we actually have buy-in. Everybody listens to WIFM. What's in it for me? And this is never more true than it is for jurors. Jurors, before embarking on any journey, want to know what's in it for them. You know, we used to say that sympathy worked. I don't know that it ever really worked. I think that it's very um, clever that we have now changed in all the circles of advocating to really making it about jurors and their communities and their lives, because that's the only people that they've ever cared about. That's the only people humans care about is ourselves. I mean, we do care about other people. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about ultimate motivation is to save our own skin. And I do believe that jurors do care for others and can be helped to care for others. But ultimately, it begins with what's in it for me, especially when I'm in a situation that I'm forced to be there and I can't get out of. So we want them to be invested and we want them to take ownership. So I'm going to take the the four components of the From Hostage to Hero method and show you how we can get buy-in from our jurors so that they'll want to go on the destination or on the journey to the destination with you. Because that's that first piece of leadership. You've got to be going somewhere and you've got to have people coming with you as that second piece. So let's decide on our destination and making it as juror-friendly as possible so that they want to go with you. So when we're talking about the four components of the From Hostage to Hero Method, the first component is introduce safety. So jurors do not feel safe really because of their hostage state. If you go back to some of the early podcasts, you'll hear me talk about the SCARF model and how jury selection is attack on the juror's brain. So jurors are sitting there and their brain is under attack and they're going to have to talk in public and they don't know, you know, who their fellow jurors are and they don't know who you are and they don't know what the questions are going to be asked and all of these things that cause them to be under attack in terms of neurologically. So your job is to create safety. Now, when we talk about the SCARF model, the the five components of that, of why we attack the brain, status is under attack, certainty, there's hardly any certainty, autonomy, we don't have autonomy, relatedness, we don't know each other, fairness, this feels unfair. What we're going to do in the first step is design an alliance with jurors. I have a whole podcast episode on how to do this, but here's the basic gist or reason why we're doing a designed alliance. First of all, what is a designed alliance? It is a process and not just with jurors. We use it in coaching. We use it in relationships. I mean, it's like totally changed my marriage, totally changed my parenting, but it's designing with another person how the two of you are going to be in a process, right? So for example, 
Kevin is high auditory and I'm a high visual. Meaning when I'm reading, I my ears are turned off. I can't hear anything. I think I tell the story in the book about my sister coming down and putting some toast in the toaster that you had to pop up manually and saying, sorry, pop up the toast for me. But I was reading, so I didn't hear her. Next thing I know, she comes down and the whole kitchen is filled with smoke and she's screaming. I had no idea. But Kevin's the opposite. His ears are always on and he likes to process verbally. So Early on in our marriage, we would get into the biggest fights on Sunday mornings. Why? Because Sunday mornings, we had the newspaper. And I loved reading the newspaper. And Kevin loved reading the newspaper. But he loved to share what he was reading. Every time he shared, it would stop me from my reading because it would interrupt me. Or I wouldn't hear him, which would upset him. And we were just talking about this the other night. And we thought, we said to each other, man, if we had known about designed alliances, we could have designed something around that. Now, of course, neither one of us read the paper because who reads the paper anymore? Although I feel bad for newspapers. But the point is, is that designing is huge in terms of relationships and huge in terms of what we're talking about here. Because what it does is it gives back some of the autonomy to jurors. It says, I don't get to decide how this process goes. We're going to decide together how this process goes. Do you see how this is the first step in getting jurors on your team and wanting to go where you want to go? Because even before you talk to jurors about the destination or why they should want to go or what's in it for them, you're saying, before we get to any of that, let's just talk about how this process is going to go. And I want your input. So in that designed alliance, we talk about how you, you first confirm their sanity by saying, I bet you believe that we're going to ask you all these questions. And then based on your answers, we get to decide who's good for our case or bad for our case. And then that's how you get chosen or kicked off. So you confirm their sanity, which also helps create safety, right? And credibility on your side because you're saying out loud what everybody's thinking. And then you say, I don't want to do it that way. What I prefer to do is have a conversation with you about some of the principles in this case, get your thoughts and ideas, and have you, once you learn more about the case, tell me if this is a case you would like to serve on or not. Now, notice how that just changes the game all all together because jurors, of course, don't want to be there. And so their ears perk up. They're like, wait a minute, I get to tell you if I want to be here? I'm just not chosen? So you're giving them some of their autonomy back. And then there's some other parts of the Designed Alliance where you talk about how you can't talk about details and how you won't be able to um, answer a lot of their questions right away and how they'll want to know more, but you're not able to do that. And how you're also not able to guarantee whether they go home or not, even if they tell you they prefer not to be on this case or that they prefer to be on this case because there's another side that is represented here and they get to make some choices too. The whole point, and again, you can go back to how to design an alliance with jurors if you want the deets on that one. The whole point of the designed alliance and the safety part is to set the framework for, hey, we're about to go on a journey, but I'm not taking anyone on this journey that doesn't want to go. That's what's so huge here. And that really is one of the most important components of leadership. Because if we go back to what I started with, is that leadership is always about your followers. It's always about what they need. And the number one thing that you need from a follower is voluntary interaction with you, voluntary followership. You you don't have followers if they're forced to be there. That They can't be called followers. 
That's just not what they are. So this first step is huge in getting your jurors to want to go on this journey with you. The second step is the engagement phase. So we invite engagement. Now here's what's important here is that in this phase, knowing what's coming, knowing what's in your opening, you are asking jurors questions that you're going to then answer or give back to them in opening. So this is the trial dialogue you've heard me talk about before, where we source our opening from the jurors themselves in voir dire, meaning we ask them questions knowing that we're going to answer those questions in opening. But if we get the jurors to say it first, it becomes their opening. It becomes their case. So instead of lecturing them and talking about bias and, you know, pies and all that stuff, I promised someone today that I would do a <laughs> podcast episode on why I don't like the, the pie thing, which I know is Keith Mitnick's thing. And I adore Keith Mitnick. I adore that man. But I'm going to talk about why I don't love it in an upcoming podcast. So you have to wait for that. But really, this is why I believe Wadir is so important, is because it's your one opportunity to get your case themes in the air by sourcing it from the jurors. Do you see how this helps with your journey to your destination and making it the jurors? Because instead of saying, here's what this case is about, by asking specific questions that get the jurors talking about what this case is about, it helps them own the case facts even though you're not really talking about facts, but own the case themes, I should say, and make it theirs. So again, I continue to use the example from the Dram Shop case where we asked the jurors, how as a society have we done or what have we done to, to help prevent drunk driving? And we had all these great answers about how parents talk to their kids about drunk driving and how they'll come pick them up and never get in a car and so on and so forth. So that once we got to the opening and we've talked about, as a society, we have determined that drunk driving can and should be prevented. In fact, as parents, we tell our kids, I'll come pick you up. Right Now we're saying the very things that the juror just said, it's, it's almost impossible for jurors not to be invested at this point, because now these are their ideas that you are now putting out in an organized way in your opening. But this is what I'm talking about, sourcing your opening from the jurors in Wadir. And this also helps get that investment in the um, destination by allowing the jurors to have the first crack at it. When we get to the commitment phase, which is the third step in the From Hostage to Hero method, this is where we give it back to them. So this is that second half of that trial dialogue. So not only do we get the jurors talking about and owning the case themes in Wadir, now we get to say, you guys were right about all of it. All those things you said in Wadir, that's exactly what this case is about. And you are the perfect people to be able to right this wrong. Now, I'm not saying you use that language that I just used, but by giving back to jurors the very things that they said in Wadir, because you were very clear about what types of questions you're going to ask, and you're conducting what we call an issue-oriented Wadir. Also have very a lot of podcasts on that too. If you want to learn more about that. In fact, join the crew if you want to learn about issue-oriented voir dire. We're just back there having so much fun learning about issue-oriented voir dire and people just love it. So join the crew. But 
this is where we give it back to them. So it even makes them more important. And now the journey feels super important. And of course they want to go on the journey because now it's their journey because they've shared their thoughts and feelings in Wadir. And now you solidify it and you give it back to them. You say, you were absolutely right. That's exactly what this case is about. Now I can give you those details that I said I couldn't give you. And look, you were so smart and so right about everything. Boy, does that ever help. And then when we get to the action phase, which is the fourth uh, piece in the From Hostage to Hero Method, now we empower the jurors. Now we really fully get to stand in our role as leader and say, now it's time to go and make this right. You, they chose in opening to actually go on the journey. That's where, we, that's where they, they make the decision. Now you empower them by telling them how to deal with uh, jurors that might be arguing with them in the back room, by telling them what the jury instructions mean, by telling those two future stories you heard me talk about, by doing all the things, you empower the jurors that are already with you to go and do their most important part of their job. See, your job or your role changes throughout trial. At the beginning, in the safety phase, you're acting as a guide. You're saying, this is how this works, or how would you like this to work? This is how I'd like it to work. Are you, would you agree to have this conversation with me? That's all that designed alliance. So you're, you're, you're acting as a guide. You're saying, this is, this is how this is going to go. And, and hopefully you want to go with me. And then you, when you go to the engagement phase, you change to facilitator. Now you're facilitating a conversation, mostly between jurors and each other. Then when you go to the commitment phase, you become teacher. You get to give them all the details and teach them the things they need to know in order to do their jobs. By the time you get to the action phase, now you get to fully step into your role of le as leader. It's not that you weren't being a leader from the very beginning. You've been auditioning for the role from the very beginning, but now you fully inhabit that role and empower your jurors to go back in that verdict room and do what they need to do. Notice that all of these roles are in service to your followers, to your jurors. You change your role as trial goes on, not for your sake, but for their sake, because they need different things at different times. At the beginning, they need someone to show them the ropes. When they're in the um, voir dire, they need someone to facilitate. When they're in opening, they need somebody to teach them. When they're in closing about to go in the verdict room, they need someone to empower them. They need that leader. So all of these things are in service to your followers. And that's why it's so important to understand that the journey, the destination has to be about the jurors. And we start with that designed alliance by saying, you guys get to have a, a say in how this goes. And then we use their experiences and life experiences in Wadir to make the case about them. We give it back to them in opening and we empower them in closing. This is how you clearly communicate where you're going. It's not about you. It's not about your client. It's jury. This is where we're going to go. And it has everything to do with you because every case has something to do with your jurors. Every single case. Why? You've heard me say this because you stand on the right. And you stand for values, human values. You stand for all the things that jurors also want in their communities and their lives. And if you make it about the jury, what's in it for me? They're definitely going to want to go on that journey with you. So like I thought, this has already been long. 
So we talked about today how to get jurors to want to go on the journey with you. Now we're going to talk about how to actually create those followers, that confidence that you, that they want to have in you. How do you communicate to them that you are the leader that they need? We will talk about that in the next episode. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just want to let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to FromHostageToHero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then.